I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Yeah, but how much is it going to cost me? Come on. I, 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 emotionally, there. physically, or monetarily, oh, I guess. Geez. I mean, because I, 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 I that's make not this really complicated. question for you, I guess. I, I'm not going to charge you anything. Um, emotionally, I might take a toll. You won't age like smoking cigarettes or anything like that. So it's, you know, well, that's like good because I, I hate that like lip wrinkle thing that the smokers get. That's that's really <laughs> awful. So as long as I'm not going to get that, this might be worth this might be worth taking. I would say that six out of seven doctors have stated publicly <laughs> that nine cents will give you cancer. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I is your host, Adam Campbell. I'm being joined by the lovely, the lovely Jesse. How are you, my dear? Doing wonderful. It's been so long since we've talked. It feels like it's been forever. It feels like it's been at least a month. At least a month. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, why is it only once a month? We should do an iDreamy quick like, uh, you know, a, a 10 second or, or a one minute, 90 second. That's more than one minute, I think. Yeah. Uh, like a little segment of I Dream of Jesse. Like a little bit of a, like, did you know you need to double up the toilet paper when you wipe? You know, so like, like, like those, those, you, the more you know infomercials. Yeah, but it'll be nice. Yeah. The more you know about Jesse. <laughs> See, and then I could have just a little taste more than once a month. All right. Well, anyway. My tasting aside, it is August 1st, and we have a fantastic show for you this week. So the first segment, inspired in part by the audience, thank you so much. Anytime you guys correspond with us, it's always appreciated. And partly because it's a series we're going to be talking about anyway. Uh, So we're going to touch on the sixth satanic statement in The Devil's Advocate. And of course, Jesse's in the house, so we're going to be doing a little I Dream of Jesse. What's this one about? This is The Lesser Magic of Orphan Black. See, now I've had people talk to me about this show, and I've never seen it. I think, I think the first season's on Netflix even, right? Yep, yep. Uh, so the maybe... second season might be now, too. Oh, shit. Either very soon it's going to be out. Well, I've heard nothing but good things about it, so I have to check it out. And I, I always get a little preview of your show before everyone else. Uh, neener, neener, neener. Anyway, <laughs> I liked I think it was great. So it's going to be another one of those. You're going to hear this and be like, oh, I'm going to check out that show. Even though the segment itself only uses it as reference, it's still a wonderful take. So episode 16 of I Dream of Jesse is going to be wonderful this week. And then I'm going to close this out with a little old Nick's peep show. Um, and I'm only, I, I'm shortening it up this time a little bit because I have a lot to go over here in the before, pre-show, I guess we'll call it. Um, well, first, let's start off by saying, I just got back from Guardians of the Galaxy, and holy fuck, holy fuck. The, have you seen previews for this? Have you seen this? It's it's the one with the raccoon, right? Yeah. It, yeah. That looks like it could be really funny or god-awful. It's amazing. Okay. It, it is so... It does, the, it does those things that every movie that is going to sort of, rather than taking your hand and trying to condense 
tons of characters and tons of connection and everything in a two hour time span, they kind of have to lead you with scenes and you know, you have to be able to identify with characters and motivations and stuff like that as, as a viewer. So th they do some tricks that kind of push you along the way rather than trying to lead you, um, which in a movie like this works brilliantly and it's wonderful. But it, it start and I'm not going to go into a big review of this. I'm just going to give a couple notes here. I was not ready for the way it started. I don't think anyone is ready for the way it starts. And it... And I don't want to give any spoilers away or anything. It's not really central to the plot as much as um, just setting up sort of where the characters come from. But there's this sad moment in the very first, like, not even maybe 10 minutes of the show that I was almost fucking crying in the theater. It was so powerful. And it's not like one of those things where it's like, oh, well, it had some connection to something that happened in your past and that's why you're sad. No, it's just a genuinely sad moment in the first 10 minutes of the show that from that point on is nothing but you are up and laughing and actively interested in every single thing that's happening. It is a fucking roller coaster of excitement and fun. And, it, and I say fun because it genuinely genuinely is a fun movie i mean there's gonna to be tons of comparisons to the original star wars with this show um and then obviously any other like superhero type show but that's not really what this is it's very much in the vein of star the original star wars like a space fantasy rather than like a sci-fi flick or anything like or or a traditional superhero film it was really good i mean like it blew me away how good it was i was <laughs> i i find this in movies a lot and I don't know, I'm starting to think it's me. But there was moments where it's it was like a completely adult reference that was so subtle that there's no way kids would get it. Um, but I'm like laughing my ass off loudly. And I have this hyper-awareness suddenly after the first couple guffaws that I was the only one laughing. So I don't know if I was the only one that caught the joke or that I created the joke with my own life background or, you know, what it was. But... God damn, there were some really great moments and it seemed like I was the only one enjoying them. It was weird. There's this weird... Okay, so let me ask you, Jesse. Yeah. Um, so this isn't just a big, long diatribe here. Yeah. When you're watching a movie and there's something funny that happens, do you just sort of enjoy it within yourself or do you laugh? If there's other people around, I laugh. In fact, last night, my husband and I were watching Sharknado 2. And there were oh many laugh out loud moments in that that film. Really? Oh yeah. See, I I I can watch really intellectually challenging movies, and I can watch Sharknado too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've stayed away from that uh, the first one, and now I'm going to stay away from the second one. I have zero interest in. Um, funny we, because we, it's so dumb. We would have watched Sharktopus too if it hadn't been on so late. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! All right, maybe I will have to change it. Was it good though? Did you have fun though? Oh, I'm not no, good as in it's a good movie, but good as in it's supposed to be a bad movie. Yeah, I, I mean, they they totally. It's like if you ever have you seen The Expendables? Mm -mm. Okay, well, well, never mind that reference. But <laughs> no, it's, it's 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 one of those movies that knows it's dumb. And so it isn't trying to be anything else, but it also isn't trying to act dumber than it is. Mm -hmm. So I, there, I, I don't know how to describe this. There is an intelligence behind it. It's like it's just the, honest in its stupidity. Yes, yes, yes. 
and That's... it's and it's well done. Huh. I mean, they've got. You can't say the story is intelligent or the characters are are, are multi dimensional or anything, but the pacing <laughs> is there. I mean, things like that. So it's sort of the the technical aspects of it. They got it down. They made a good movie. Oh, shit. Now I gotta see it. Damn it. <laughs> I can't Not to believe, explain to the wife what I, can't I have believe to watch Sharknado. I'm throwing Sharknado out 2. a recommendation for Sharknado 2. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> there went my reputation. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> All right. Well, jumping on to another movie I saw this weekend, which sort of transported me back to my childhood. So, just to give a little bit of uh, groundwork here. I, when I was a kid, I was raised in a Mormon household. And so, but we had cable when I was younger. Uh, and I'm talking like five to seven younger. Um, so I would wake up early in the morning, like, you know, three to five and turn on HBO and I would watch like Nightmare on Elm Street shows. And I, I think, well, I know one was around. I think two was around when I was watching it. But I, there was these sort of scenes that stood out in my mind that made me connect with the sort of horror um, genre, uh, and specifically Freddy and, and Nightmare on Elm Street. And so I was watching Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, the other day, and I had this poster of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, on my my bedroom door. And so it was sort of this this constant reminder of, of, of murder and monstrosity and the power of dreams and all this really wonderful things that would later like influence my mind as I, as I started to develop a little bit later in life. Um, and that may have been a bad thing. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't really stop my kids from watching anything, but they don't really ever watch Nightmare on Elm Street. So I don't know. But, uh, I was watching this show and I started like, obviously like flashing back to my childhood. And then I remembered I was watching a documentary um, on Nightmare on Elm Street. And it's a documentary about, uh, I think it's called Never Sleep Again or something like that. It talks about the entire franchise and really kind of from the uh, producers and the studio's point of view. Um, and they were saying that Nightmare on Elm Street 2 had overt homosexual overtones like it was the gay nightmare on elm street and there you know they would the studio heads would go out to you know sort of opening shows and and parties and stuff and people would come up saying i really loved nightmare on elm street too you helped me come out of the closet and accept who i was thank you so much for making a gay friendly horror movie and as a kid i never saw that ever in nightmare on elm street 2 and when i was watching it after having seen that documentary from beginning to end, I see how there could have been moments where people were like, oh, that is so gay. You know, sort of like offhanded, like calling your friend gay because he did something that you didn't like, but not like, I want to suck your dick gay. Like, I don't, and this may be offensive to some people and it's just, you know, bear with me. I'm trying to get through this. I didn't see the homosexuality. Like every time, whenever he made reference to Freddy wants to get in me or why did you leave your girlfriend to come to my bedroom, you know, to sleep with me? Like... I was always seeing it in the light of this young man is being possessed, uh, is having this darker force that he can't understand sort of dominating what others perceive as the way he should be. As society is telling him he should be, this darkness is sort of manifesting itself throughout him. And as a Satanist, I connected with that on such a primal level, saying, okay, so I'm supposed to be this geeky kid that's bullied at school, but inside, 
I, I'm really like a, a crazy strong individual. Um, part of the reason why the other kids didn't like me is because I hung out with the people that they said had cooties or were ugly or, you know, sort of the darker side of the playground, I'll say. Um, and so I connected with it so much and I started like watching the show as like a manifesto for how I was kind of came into my own satanic self, you know, and, and Freddie obviously being uh, what others perceive as evil. And that is in my comparison Satanism and how it sort of, you know, flourished inside of me, just like Freddie did in this boy. So I don't know, man, maybe I, obviously it's all in the eye of the beholder. Read into it what you will for your own life. But I didn't see a homosexuality thing. I definitely saw like a coming into one's own. And it, in the movie personified it as obviously a mass murderer and everything like that. But I, I, I dug it, man. Did you see, uh, Jesse, did you see Nightmare on Elm Street 2? Oh, but so many years ago. Did you ever, do you remember if you ever had a sense that it, there was like something overtly wrong with it? No. No, I didn't pick up on it. I, I want. I think I saw the first one when I was eighteen or something, and it was years after it had come out. And I, and I probably didn't see the second one until probably in my mid twenties or something like that. And oh, I, wow. you know, I saw like the first four or something like that before. I think I stopped watching the series. But no, I, they were always just you know fun horror flicks. I never, never picked up on that. Now that you mention it, I, I, I'm trying to remember. There was some really weird sort of 80s moments in it that whenever you look back at like an, a, a period 80s piece, <laughs> it's always weird and hypersexualized and, you know, it, it's kind of through the high schoolers eyes with like, you know, 20 somethings actors playing the high schoolers. So it's never quite right <laughs> whenever you watch it. And so I think that's part of it. And there's all... Every, you don't see this enough in horror movies like the dance scenes <laughs> to like 80s power ballads and, and like pop songs and stuff Nightmare on Elm Street 2 had that which is part of what makes it super awesome <laughs> okay well also, I, I gotta say because the 80s was more my time than yours yeah. um, and the only movie I can think of offhand that I think survived it and is still worth watching is The Goonies oh there yeah. was something about that movie. It's it's it was never it was always cheesy. So it's not like that's new, but there is something about that movie that's kind of timeless. The weird thing is, like about that movie, sort of the generation um, older than you really didn't like it. Uh, the generation younger, I have no idea. I really loved that show. Like it, it's not one of those shows where this is turning into like a fucking movie podcast. Um, <laughs> It's not one of those shows that I think is overtly cheesy. Like, it's it's fun. You know, it's like, it's just a fun sort of kid's adventure. And anyone that can sort of suspend disbelief and remember what it was like to be a kid should certainly be able to identify. And it was about pirates! Fucking pirates! Who doesn't love pirates? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and, my and, gosh. And the villains in that movie, the actors they got to play them. Oh, my yeah. God, they were awesome. So good. So good. I can't believe I didn't take a note about this. I went to a pirate wedding this last week. <laughs> I'm so glad you brought up Goonies because I would have totally forgot to mention this. I went to a fucking pirate wedding. 
Instead of saying I do, did they say R? <laughs> oh my god, gosh. There was a lot of yees and I and R and yes, you may, you know, like a lot of that stuff. Um, like, you know, cheesy pirate stuff. But they, you know, it was it wasn't as much tongue in cheek as it was this is how they wanted to express themselves as a, as a couple. And and they were young and so I think that played into it Guy as goes, well. But it was it was fun. I think the hardest part was finding our own pirate costumes. You know, sort of dressing up like I I don't want to Well, here here's something. Whenever you whenever you dress up for something, I don't want it to look like I am wearing a costume. I want it to be like the Hollywood version where it looks like that's you know they're just in that time i don't want it to be like i have slippers over my shoes to make them look like boots i want it to be like well he's fucking wearing boots <laughs> you know what i mean yeah yeah i've never i don't i don't like i don't usually dress up for for halloween but when i do i don't buy a costume from a halloween shop i go to like the salvation army and it's like okay what's here that i can work with yeah i mean i think that's such a better way it's, it's so much more authentic it looks so much better I think when you can, like, you know, put your finger on the side of your nose and say, ah, oh, Spider-Man, look at you. You know, that's just, that's shit. It, it's better if it looks authentic. And I know it takes extra effort, but if you're going to dress up, why wouldn't you take extra effort? Yeah. I don't, I don't know. But, yeah, so this pirate wedding, totally non-religious, uh, totally over-the-top piratey, but they had to kind of make it a little bit fun for the kids. So, you know, they had, you know, little eye patches and here's the other thing there there must have been a lot of missing eyes in pirate <laughs> times because that is all we see nowadays is peg legs like picked hands like the the you know the curved captain i don't know captain hook hook hand yeah and then the fucking missing eyes and parrots i bet there wasn't one goddamn pirate that ever had a parrot on his shoulder squawking at him and yet it has broken into our collective conscious that must be it's weird. A little bit weird. Well, maybe oh. parrots have a tendency to peck out eyes. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, shit. I, hold on. Now, this is a whole different take on it. Okay, so if you love your pet, you, you have a dog or a cat or something. If it did something, I mean, sure, you would lash out maybe, or maybe you would understand it's an animal and so it did. If you're a pirate and your pet is a... <laughs> an eye-picking parrot. Yeah. And he's like, Polly, want a cracker? No, your eye... <laughs> Like, would you get rid of it, or would you just be like, eh, I still got one good one. <laughs> and then you go to swat it, and it starts pecking off your fingers. The next thing you know, you need a hook for a hand. <laughs> now, wait a second. Parrots are, like, the worst pets now. The worst pets all around. They are horrible pets. Okay, lesson to be learned from all pirates <laughs> is never own a parrot, because they're monsters. Parrots are monsters. <laughs> And then you're flailing around, you got one eye out, you got the bird on your hand, you fall off the deck into the sea and a shark bites off there your leg, goes. and next thing you know, you got a peg leg. And you they've... see how this happens. <laughs> it all started because you wanted a bird. It all started from the bird. Goddamn, parrots are the nuke of <laughs> fucking, I don't know, 1700s, 1800s. Oh, I'm glad I got a cat. <laughs> <laughs> So weird, this pirate wedding. So weird. Like, I didn't know anyone there. It was the son of my wife's friend. And so being so completely removed from that whole world was really weird stepping into it. Anytime I get an 
chance to sort of curl my mustache, I'm taking it. So that was fun. And I looked, and I had to, you know, I, for what it's worth, I look fucking good as a pirate. I'm just saying. I can see yeah. it. I didn't, I didn't do the stupid costumey thing, so it was just me looking like a bad motherfucking pirate. It was awesome. So, uh. It it was just a lot of fun. There was and, and you it was really great because you, you saw some people that were like, No fucking way am I dressing up like a pirate and they're just doing that kind of the traditional um wedding attire. You had some people like, I'm gonna have fun with this and they dress up a little bit, and then there's some people that are like, I'm owning this. And so you had uh, sort of his best friend group of like six, you know, three boys, three girls, and they were all like owning the pirate thing. And not costumey, but owning it it was really really cool looking um even though kids are retarded like just just not not children isn't kids though they are as well i mean like high school post high school kids are fucking retarded like just the way they look their awkwardness you know that sort of like we like paper plastic man kind of phase like these kids are perpetually in that phase and it's so annoying and when i was looking at these kids i was immediately like thinking back to every parody horror movie you know like scary story or whatever they're called Mm -hmm. um where it's just making fun of scary movies or maybe it is the scary movie or something like that um but it was like that where it was like the girls looked hyper sexualized as pirates and even though if you were stuck on a boat for eight months out of a year you would look nothing sexy at all you look like a troll as a woman (laughs) or man and so there's no way there would be anything sexy about it, but because it's either a wedding or our culture says everything about women must be hypersexualized, they like did the super slutty version of what pirate girls would be if you were gonna pay like a king's ransom to sleep with them. So like that is the type of girl, and they're all looking down their noses at the other girls that weren't dressed up as piratey, and and it was just like I weep for the future if. Everything that's coming down the pipe has nothing to do with substance, but all about visuals. Like, I'm a fan of aesthetics. I'm a Satanist for fuck's sake. Own your aesthetics. But not at the expense of everything else. (laughs) That is not all there is. Like, you have to have some substance. And these people had zero substance. And I could tell that just from looking at them across the room. But then I got to hear them speaking throughout the wedding and just solidified my initial uh initial take on them oh my gosh fucking kids makes me feel old <laughs> uh would you ever go to a dress up and go to a, like a pirate wedding or would you do oh, the yeah. traditional no, wedding no no I'd, I'd love it i'd love it it was fun it was weird i i was really wishing there was being dancing at least of some sort maybe some like pirate theme music in the background yeah the entire pirate of the caribbean franchise music to pull from Nothing. There was no music at all. It was weird. And like the people that didn't dress up as Halloween uh, pirates, the people that didn't own it, the people that didn't dress up as the traditional wedding, were just like in cut-off shorts and tank tops. Like some people that go to a wedding have no idea that you're supposed to dress well for a wedding. Or they're just like, fuck it. Like this is family, so I am not even going to try in any way at all. And I've never seen so much trash in my life. (laughs) <laughs> it's it, it sounds really bad to say because I know my wife's going to hear this and it's going to hurt her feelings but it's not her people you know it's not her kin it's just a friend well, uh, the, well to, I mean the, the, the bride and the groom might have told people we just want you to have fun dress however you want yeah that's true 
That's true. Because actually, I still that's, think that's like, what we did at our wedding. We had a we had a, a friend of ours. We did the wedding in her backyard, and we had the reception in our backyard. We had a pig roast. It was jeans oh. and t-shirts, and everybody had a good time. Fucking pig roast! How awesome! All right. Well, okay. Maybe they said that, and I didn't know about it. But I just think if you're you know passing around vows, and they did this really weird like kind of cool sand mixing thing. It was very pirate themed. Um, passing around vows. I, I don't know. You know, just put on, if, if you're not going to dress up, put on your Sunday best. You know, I mean, a fucking button up shirt. Is that going to kill you? Like, this is the beginning of what's going to be the hardest three years of their lives before they get a divorce. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know. your wife's going to be pissed. <laughs> yeah. You don't even know them. No, I do know that if you, if you're, oh gosh, this is going to be horribly mean. I'm going to say it anyway. If, if the first girl that will fuck you is a fucking nasty, disgusting chubby, and you're going to marry that girl, and you could oh, so easily do so much better, um, you kind of deserve the hell that's coming your way. That that's mean, but it's true, man. She like this girl. You could see, you could see where they were gonna be in two years. <laughs> it was not pretty, mm. not pretty at all. But it was a fun wedding. Anyway, I'm sorry. We're fucking like an hour and a half in and haven't even fucking talked about anything. Uh, how about we move on to the devil's advocate? Let's do that. In nomine nostris, In the name of Satan. I'm an active member. I do not speak for the church of Satan. Satan represents responsibility to the responsible instead of concern for psychic vampires. All right. So it is fortuitous that we had someone reach out about psychic vampires via Twitter and that we're doing this whole series of the satanic statement sort of discussions. And because I have the wonderful Jesse on with me, I'm going to take advantage and we're going to talk about the sixth satanic statement. So, responsibility of the responsible and non-concern for psychic vampires. So that, I mean, it's, it's two statements mixed together. Uh, from your take, Jesse, why do you think Anton LaVey mixed these two very, I would say, just separate ideas? Uh, why, would, why did he mix these together? Well, in most of the statements, he takes two very separate ideas and mixes them together. And I think he does that because it gives each state, each part of the statement gives the other context. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, in, in the first, it's all about responsibility, which is fine. But without context, that could mean anything. When he contrasts it with with psychic vampires, then you really get the point of what he means, because... You know, the psychic vampire is the one who will do you a small do you a small favor in terms of the actual cost to them, mm -hmm. and ex and expect in return large favors in terms of the cost to you. And I mean, the cost is it's not it's not necessarily a dollar cost. It's not necessarily a time cost. It could be anything. It's just that cost is going to be great or small. And on the on the face of it, the favors might be conceivably comparable but you know they're not you know they're using you or maybe mm -hmm. you don't maybe you don't recognize it until you know years go by and, and 
and, and everyone that you know is telling you, why are you friends with this person? They're just using you, and finally you get it. But <laughs> yeah, that just actually reminded me of, of uh, something that's very poignant here. Um, yeah, okay, so I've already talked about uh, psychic vampires in the August 11th XLIII episode. Um, but uh, And you can look that up on 9 podcastcom or, or as pirates would say, XLIII. <laughs> <laughs> episode. Um, yeah, but there's what, what's wonderful about this topic, um, sort of the idea of, of delving into these satanic statements, is that there's so much ground to cover that you can actually have a, a multiple full-blown discussions about one specific topic and never touch on ground you've already covered. Um, we're going to try to do that with this here. Um, so obviously, the idea of psychic vampires reared its uh, emotional sucking head uh, in the nine satanic statements and is also addressed further in detail in the satanic bible by anton levey definitely you should if you haven't already read the satanic bible you should absolutely read it it is pretty damn powerful uh, you shouldn't be listening to this podcast if you haven't read it unless you just listen for the intros in which case that would be really weird um but i i really like how you frame that jesse saying that uh he pairs ideas in order to, and, and I'll put it in my own terms, pay off the other idea. So responsibility to the responsible being an idea that you could literally carry through to virtually every aspect of Satanism, uh, not just every Satanic statement, and it would have context. Um, but the idea of, with psychic vampires, you know, it's, well, I'm trying to think of where I want to go first with this. Jesse, let me ask you a question. Why do you think it is that the general public has never heard of a, quote, psychic vampire? Ooh, um, actually, I think somebody stole the phrase without giving him credit and started using it. I've seen it somewhere in psychology books, but most people don't study psychology. Mm -hmm. Um, I... It comes down to, I guess, uh, the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Is that the golden rule? It's been so long since I've bothered to try to learn it that, you know, <laughs> I uh, kind of forget the wording. But that is just an opening for psychic vampires to come and attack you. So, I mean, if you're following that uh, rather Christian tradition, why would you want to know what a psychic vampire is? <laughs> I'd be like looking in the mirror sometimes. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, let me, let me let me put it like this. I I I genuinely don't understand why when we speak about th uh, subjects or topics or ideas as Satanists, why we would expect that <laughs> um, solipsistic here. Why we would expect others to understand the concepts that we're discussing like there's no way that anyone would understand what the fuck a psychic vampire is in the context of satanism if they're not a satanist like we are inundated with vampires on tv and in books and in the silver screen like they 
vampires to them suck blood. So when you say psychic vampires, they're like, fucking put down the D&D book, dude. What are you talking about? Like, they genuinely have no context for it. And so that's why no one fucking understands the term. If, if, unless they study psychology or if they, you know, are a student of, of uh, behavioral science, like, there's no way anyone would fully understand that concept. So, you know, on his face, that's, in my opinion, why no one else is going to understand it is because it's kind of, kind of a satanic idea, um, an awareness that most people don't care to have. And, you know, sort of to pay off what you were just saying, Jesse, that to understand what a psychic vampire is, for some, for the majority, I would say, at least a healthy portion of this society we, we are part of, would see themselves as such. So, it, it's sort of like saying, um, why don't we ban soda? Or why don't we ban really bad food for you that we know makes us fat? Because then if we did that, we would realize, holy fuck, we are all fat. Like, <laughs> if that's a bad thing for you, it's not for everyone, I'm just saying. You know, whatever it is that that is negative, why would you want to draw it out of yourself? Of course, it's natural human behavior not to want to point at yourself and say i'm a monster <laughs> i'm a horrible human being no we justify that's how we get along we justify our behaviors as psychic vampires do it as well completely unknowingly most of the time and i would think i might it might be an actual good argument too to say if they were aware that they were psychic vampires then they weren't vampires at all that they're actually employing some pretty hefty lesser magic I, uh, I would have gone psychopath, but yeah, it could be employing less magic. <laughs> as well. So I, I think I might have touched this on this discussion in the August 11th episode with Aaron. I didn't re-listen to it. <laughs> Maybe I should have. Um, what do you think the difference is between knowing that you're going to drain this person of uh, energy or talent or, you know, for whatever personal end of yours versus not knowing it? Does that make it okay to be a psychic vampire is there any way I, another way of saying this is there any way of as a satanist justifying being a satanic uh, i'm sorry a psychic vampire no absolutely not i mean that's if you were to try to to say well you know it's 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 all about me and then and i'm being selfish and that's satanic and therefore i can drain people who are too stupid to see what i'm doing and allow me to drain them that actually goes against uh one of the rules of the earth where you when you're in open territory bother bother no one so you're still not in keeping with the tenets of satanism you know it's, you can claim selfishness but it's it's not in the long term in your best interest and your best interest is to make meaningful relationships with responsible people. Interesting. Um, man, that's that brings up some really wonderful thoughts. So, oh god damn, hold on, this is a fucking rabbit hole I gotta think about. Um, in the interest of practicing lesser magic, I'll start. Operating on your own terms for your own end. Um, draining resources of others to gain something of substance for you. Um, in your opinion, it would be not okay. Is that, am I hearing you right? Unless that person is begging to be drained of their life's energy. 
Hmm. Hmm. And so the act of them succumbing to your uh, wiles or or, or uh, talents, I guess I'll say, is that not? And I'm just having fun with this for a second here. Um, is that not them asking for it? The fact that they're stupid enough to not see it is that them asking for it? Oh, it's it's not a black and white. There's shades of gray. Oh, there. for sure. Yeah. But I, I mean, if there's some psycho fan who just just wants to kiss your ass for some reason, use them. <laughs> They've got their reason for wanting to kiss your ass. Go for it. But if it's somebody who doesn't realize what you're doing, and and you kind of know they're a decent person, otherwise, you're the shithead, not them. <laughs> I I do love this idea that um, Satanism patterns itself off of uh, some familiar ideas our culture has created about Satan and about um, sort of the, the, the carny devil that takes advantage and yet is a total gentleman the entire time. Uh, so it, it, it is a very much a gray issue, you know, on, on, on point to point whenever you're talking about self-interest Versus psychic vampires. And I would say also that you don't venture into psychic vampire territory uh, knowingly. There's something about you, in my opinion, that you don't want to give in order to get. Like, most, most Satanists I know, I would say the vast majority, if not all, are willing to work for things. They're willing to go out and put in the time necessary. Use lesser magic to make shifts for in others' you know, lives in order to fulfill a goal of theirs. But it's never just about draining the other dry. And I think that's a pretty solid um, separation between um, in that motivation. Satanists are motivated. Psychic vampires, by very definition, are not motivated. <laughs> So I think maybe awareness has a lot to do with it. Maybe motivation has a lot to do with it. Um, and I don't know. Do you want to do you want to give a brief, detailed rundown? Maybe not. I mean, you know, how detailed can you be about this uh, abstract idea? It's sort of laying the groundwork for what a psychic vampire is. I'm not sure we've done that yet. We've just spoken as if everyone already knows. Um. Okay. Um. Th probably the best analogy is a mooch. You know, mm -hmm. if you've got some some friend who is always bumming a ride off of you and never paying for gas kind of thing, uh, but then will occasionally invite you out to a party and you get to meet lots of interesting people, so you try to tell yourself it's all worth it in the end and, and some part of you knows it isn't. Psychic vampirism is very much like that. It's It's somebody who, it's not that they're not doing anything for you. They kind of... Whether they mean to or not, they are filling a need that you have in yourself. They're, they're sensing a weakness, they're filling a need, and in return, they're taking everything. They're taking all your time, they're taking your money, they're taking mental resources, emotional resources. They're just draining you dry. And I, is, I totally concur with Adam. I, I don't think most psychic vampires see themselves as bad people. 
I think they probably justify it in their own heads. They see a bit of entitlement for something they're providing or just for, you know, they've had a rough life and, and they deserve a break, whatever their justification is. I don't think they see themselves as, as villains and therefore it's up to us to recognize them as villains because it's not going to be guilt or shame to go back to my last four episodes. I don't want to go back there, but <laughs> it's not going to be that that stops them. It's going to be us that stops them. Yeah, they don't have a big P sewn, scarlet P sewn on their chest. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. So I think that was a, a brilliant uh, explanation of what a psychic vampire is. Um, have you, Jesse, known any psychic vampires in your life? Oh, yeah. Oh, God, I was totally a victim of one for many, many years. And uh, Would considered- you like to go into any vague details? Yeah, sure. I mean, she was, I considered her my best friend. And. I I think what actually ended it was more her latching on to other people and so she was no longer being there always for me and that kind of got me to expand my circle of friends a bit and then I kind of saw the difference in what a friend could be mm-hmm. so you know, color me stupid I, I was a victim of one for years and it wasn't, it actually, it wasn't, okay, so, so I had this one best friend, and then I met my husband, and he had a close friend who was kind of the same thing, and I hated the guy from the day I met him. <laughs> but, you know, he's my husband's friend, so you, you do what you got to do to get along. And, right. And it wasn't until, oh, maybe 10 years after we had both lost them as friends that I read the Satanic Bible and I read that chapter, and it's like, oh, my God. Suddenly it made sense. <laughs> Suddenly I saw the, 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 the correlation or whatever the word I'm looking for is. It just, it just hit me. And it's like I knew there was a problem with, with my friend. I knew there was a problem with his friend. I, I didn't see until I read that chapter that it was the same damn thing happening. It's, it's really interesting because as with any leech – they want to latch on to the strongest source they can find, all the while taking advantage of what that other individual wants most of the time. And this is something, you know, this, you've already stated this uh, early in the discussion. So for friends, as far as friends go, you know, as, as a healthy, productive human being, we find worth in valuable friendship. And sometimes we are... You know, sometimes, as with anything, you're blind until it really stings. And, I mean, same thing happens to me with friends in that I'm a very friend-oriented person. I never had a connection with my family because they were religious and I very much wasn't. And so I didn't feel connected to them in any way. And so whenever I found a friend that shared some ideas that I shared... It was a big deal, and so I connected with them. And it does get to the point where you run through friends and you don't question, you know, well, he's asking me to do this or she's asking me for this. Well, you know, it's a friend, so what wouldn't you do for your friends until some, you know, there's always like a, a turning point, at least in my experience. And this is maybe something going into every relationship. We should always, as aware human beings, sort of step back and take a second glance at. Um, Whenever, anytime someone contacts you, it's because they need something rather than just to 
hang or just to, you know, do something with you. Um, or, or, or just to experience, you know, be in your presence. Um, they need something from you. That's a pretty big clue <laughs> that, that you're being used. And it, it sucks. I mean, I don't know. Jesse, tell me if, if you think this too. I think Satanists in general are, are very wary of other people. But if they connect with someone, then it's, it's sort of all in, right? Yeah, I, I, I don't, I mean, I would caution any certainly new Satanist from thinking they're immune because they're a Satanist. It's not that easy. I mean, yeah. I got, I got two phone calls tonight and one was to say thank you and the other was to invite us to a party. But there was a time in my life when phone calls would be, I need, I want, and I didn't see the difference at the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, don't assume you're above it. Pay attention, I guess. Yeah, I, I always love that, too. And this idea that, oh, well, I know what it is, so I will never be a victim of it. Well, <laughs> the assumption there is that, one, you will be able to spot it because obviously they have, like, a black, thin, curly mustache that they're always, like, twisting and, like, maniacally laughing, and that's how you're going to fall. Like, oh, well, he wants to tie me to a railroad track. Of course I'm not going to fall for that. It doesn't happen like that. Like, it is not overt. It is subtle. And, you know, going back to our uh, beginning of this conversation, it is, uh, as Jesse so eloquently put that I'm going to butcher, them (laughs) putting in as little as possible and taking as much as possible. And... If you are someone who just sort of says, okay, well, they're my friend, I will, I will help them. How long does that happen before they're draining you of resources, before they're draining you of energy, and before you recognize them as psychic vampires? I mean, it is family. It is, like, maybe even if your kids are, you know, of their own mind and old enough, uh, it could be your own fucking kids. It could be your parents. It could be, you know, people you went to school with or college with or work with or, or you meet on the street or at a pub and you just hang out with. Um, they're literally everywhere. And it's their lack of self-awareness that is the best camouflage because there's no tell except for how you feed into it. So, I mean, you really need to take ownership when dealing with psychic vampires, it is not always overt. They don't have the high collared cloaks and count to ten, these vampires, <laughs> and and laugh afterward. That's always a weird thing to me. One ah ah ah. So, you know that that's not it's <laughs> not how it works. Uh, and I, you know, just to double down on what again, I'm I'm just paying off everything you're saying. Like I'm just riding your verbal train, Jesse. Um, <laughs> Uh, uh, it, it is incumbent upon you to, uh, have a healthy enough ego to realize that you're human and you make mistakes. You're not perfect and you're not like the greatest evil being ever, (laughs) you know, uh, to, to be able to look at yourself and your relationships and say, and, you know, decide on whatever you decide within yourself this person is a psychic vampire and this is how I'm going to deal with them. Um, of course, it's a very personal thing and everyone has to do it differently. Um, 
But I've also had, and and I still, and here's the irony of it. I, I don't communicate with them, but I still see them as friends because I've been friends with them for so long. It, but I don't communicate them when I don't hang out with them because I know that they're vampires. But in a weird way, I still genuinely care about them as human beings because I know them so intimately well and they were with me through some of my most informative years um, and my awareness about them, it informs my opinion of them and it f- keeps them at arm's length. But as a human being, I still care about them. You know, it's, it's, it's that, that dark satanic love of that. I, I know that they are bad for me. So I keep them away. It's like, it's like drugs. I know it's bad for me, so I don't fucking do it. But <laughs> I have some fun memories of my uh, youth, <laughs> I'll well, say. The thing is, it's probably, I'm going to guess, just about everybody on the planet has one that's related to them. Yeah. And then yeah. you perhaps get married and you inherit a few more through the marriage. <laughs> and that's even tougher because, I mean, you know, if, if you're brother is a psychic vampire you can set the boundaries of what that relationship is and your spouse will respect it but if your spouse's brother is a psychic vampire you don't have as much you know influence over where the boundaries get set there and that can be a huge drain on a marriage and yeah i don't have a ready-made answer for how to handle that it's just something to be aware of and Watch for it before you get married and try to deal with it as best you can after, I guess. Yeah. I do like, <laughs> I like the idea of, uh, let's make up a hypothetical situation where um, uh, we're married, you and I, and your sister, I'm sorry, I'm putting you on the bad end of this, is a psychic vampire. Like, how would you, like, you wouldn't want to go up and say, hey, honey, I, we need to talk. Your sister, she's always asking you for money. You always are just exhausted and irritable every time you, uh, every time she leaves and after you've visited. I, I genuinely think she's a psychic vampire. <laughs> you don't want to say that. Like, you don't, you know. Yeah, never use Use the relatable language. <laughs> you, you start throwing out psychic vampires and people are genuinely not going to take you seriously. No, no, no. It, it's in the Satanic Bible. Oh, well, you know, if they're not a Satanist, you're not helping your cause. <laughs> be smart about the way that you approach situations don't like <laughs> it suddenly clicks in your head jump back point your finger and shout psychic vampire I, I knew it i knew it like they don't they're not gonna understand you have to whenever and i guess this just sort of goes into you know obviously but uh <laughs> speak to people in a way that they're going to understand here's 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 the trick to this i've just figured it out the all perfect right. answer to all these situations it's the phrase tough love mm. so if you can convince your spouse or significant other polyamorous family unit whatever it is <laughs> that what you're suggesting is tough love you know this person's always calling up asking for money we need to help them to work for themselves and get on their own two feet for their own pride. You know, if you can pass it off that way, that's the best solution. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, this is, you know, sort of re- forming a circle here with our conversation, coming back to the start here. Um, this is another reason why people aren't going to understand what a psychic vampire is, because it's not in their fucking vernacular. Like, they're just not going to understand it. So don't speak to them in that way 
you know, we can collectively as Satanists understand when we say psychic vampire what that means. Other people, they're going to need a little bit of massaging with the language. So just explain, you know what? Tough, if it's tough love, you need to set boundaries with these people because, you know, you are now aware of what they're doing to you. And so you can behave accordingly. But definitely don't just run out at work at the water fountain and say man dave over in section c such a psychic vampire of course they're not gonna understand you (laughs) of course but they will understand he's such a mooch like they'll get that so speak to people on their level it may make you feel stupid (laughs) and quite often it does but that's how people want to be spoken to and it's actually a really great lesser magic practice so there's a little lesser magic tip for you as well. Um, yeah, is there anything else you wanted to talk about? Yeah, because I, I just statement? because we've um, we've spent so much time talking about the second half of that statement. I just want to come back around and say a little bit about the first half of it: the responsibility, oh, shit, yeah. the responsibility, the responsibility to the responsibility. Yeah, right. Okay, uh, responsibility to the responsible. I think this statement ties in a bit with. Uh, the, the fourth statement that Satan represents kindness to those who deserve it instead of love wasted on ingrates. And the reason I see them tied together is it's kind of like, okay, when the chips are down, you want to provide compassion to those who deserve it. And when the chips are up, that's not an expression, is it? When the, when the good times are rolling, <laughs> skirts are up. That way, the skirts are up. When the skirts are up, you want to, um, Understand that you have responsibility to the responsible, that there are people who got you to where you are or are keeping you where you are. There are people who are taking care of you, maybe not by, you know, giving you food and shelter, but just, you know, like like your friends or your your spouse or something. They're providing emotional support. They're taking care of you and you have a responsibility to them because they are responsible for your current success in life. Mm -hmm. And then at a greater level, when you've achieved a level of success and you have the ability to provide an opportunity for somebody else, well, who are you going to give that responsibility to, but somebody who's responsible enough to take it. And it's not just sentiment at that point. It's actually a promotion of the natural order of things that should be going on that unfortunately only Satanists and, and people of our, our ilk recognize that there shouldn't just be handouts based on friendships, that it should go to the person who's actually qualified to do the job. Oh, I'm so fucking glad you said that. Um, if I if I can jump in here, um, I just had an intern uh, with my company for uh, a month and a half, uh, sort of like a half a summer she was spending with us. And... When I was in school and when I was at my first uh, employment as a designer, I had a lot of really wonderful mentors um, that I, I I still to this day look on with fondness. Um, and so I, I've always wanted to sort of sort of pay that forward with the design community, uh, you know, graphic designers and, and web designers and such. And so when I had an opportunity to have an intern, I, I latched onto it. And of course, like you were just saying, I, I needed to sort of run her through a few um, tests to see if she had an eye, uh, to see if she understood uh, the way that I understand things. And when I 
found out that she did, then I did everything I could to to help her understand design the way I understand it. And from a mentoring standpoint, you know, I've, I've mentored soldiers in the military, but that was my job to do that. Uh, when it comes to design, well, this is something I'm passionate about, and so I want to be discerning. And so it was, it's, it's such a good feeling that, you know, just in the way that you were saying, when someone through your Littman's test is qualified, that you can share those things that you're passionate with them about and, and really, uh, you know, help them along in the way that you were helped along when you needed it. Uh, and so, you know, in, in that, in what you just said, I, I can totally identify with it. It was really, really well put. Thank you. <laughs> I love I love these statements. They're so wonderful. They they sort of bounce back and forth, uh, playing off of each other, in such wonderful ways. It is very much not a this is one statement that is isolated within itself. No, it is an idea or a series of ideas, a pair in this case, that play off of the other satanic statements in profound ways. And to understand one of them is wonderful, but to see their relationship with each other, uh, I mean, it, you have to be a student of Satanism. You know, it, it's always that thing, that, that saying of um, um, question all things and, and being a perpetual uh, scholar rather than just flat out saying, well, I read the book, I know what's in it, I, you know, I'm an expert at Satanism. <laughs> I'm an expert Satanist. No, you're always learning. You're always discovering new things and, and, and looking at the same words in different angles, that, that third side trying to find it in everything. Um, it's wonderful. Student of Satanism. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's what we is. <laughs> we be educated. <laughs> to be, we are learning you all we knows. Yeah, good stuff. No, so thank you everyone for uh, whenever you, you know, talk about this stuff and you suggest it to us or you bounce it off of us. We really do genuinely appreciate it. And I would like to encourage all of you listening um, to share your thoughts as well. If not about this, then about anything related to Satanism that you want us to touch on. And you can always email us or uh, shoot us a phone call and go to 9centspodcast.com to find specific um, ways of doing that. But you know what I'm ready for, Jesse? Naked pictures of other people's wives? That is a recurring theme. (laughs) (laughs) Well, of course, yes, obviously, absolutely, 100%, but maybe even more than that. I'm ready for the next I Dream of Jesse episode. Should we do it? Sure. Jesse! What do you want? Well, first, Jesse, I'd, I'd, I'd like you to address me as master. I, I am your master, after all. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yes, master. That's better. Now look, I've got guests coming over tonight, and I want you to entertain them. What, do I look like a belly dancer? Oh, I, I assume that was part... I mean, the outfit, it, it kind of suggests... You may be used to dance. Listen, the gin put me in the bottle. He forgot to add the preservatives. Now, the outfit may be wrinkle-free, but what in it ain't. You don't like it? Call the number on the bottle and complain. (laughs) 
Orphan Black is a TV series on BBC America that will soon be going into its third season. You don't need to watch it to understand this. If possible, while you're listening or sometime after you listen, Google images of Orphan Black to get a look at the characters. That'll make everything I'm about to say sink in without using up more than a minute of your time. Orphan Black's premise is that a secret cloning experiment has been conducted, and the clones were then set loose into society, each with an agent to monitor them. They're all nearing 30 now, and they don't know their clones until they start to discover each other. The clones are identical, but to make the series more interesting, they can't grow up identical. The writers had to allow nurture to overcome nature enough to give us an interesting cast. So raised apart, they grew apart. And yet, because they're all clones, the same actress has to play them all. So here's where the lesser magic comes in. How does one actress change herself to be multiple characters? Well, she applies the knowledge laid down in Anton LaVey's The Satanic Witch. She changes her name, her hair, her clothing, her voice. She adapts the mannerisms that will cause others to peg her as a certain type. I'm not suggesting the show's creators read LaVey, though that would be wicked cool if they did. All actors and actresses do these things. It's just not often you get a chance to see one individual creating so many different characters in one sitting. That's why I couldn't resist bringing this to Nine Cents. Granted, the actress is a professional, as are the screenwriter, the costume designer, and the set designer, but this show demonstrates what's possible for one woman to become. I'm going to describe five of the characters from season one, pointing out details of what makes each character work. But before that, a word about the actress. Tatiana Maslany is a 28-year-old Canadian actress. She's pretty, but she's plain. And that's key. Angelina Jolie was supposed to have wowed us with her various appearances in the movie Salt, but that movie failed. Anything they did with her face, her hair, or clothing, it didn't matter. She always looked like Angelina Jolie. Now, whether you think Jolie is gorgeous or hideous, she's striking. You see her, and you're commanded to look. Maslany doesn't have that. Do I call it an advantage or a disadvantage? Jolie effortlessly commands us to look. Maslany must put effort into making us look, but when Maslany changes her look, she really becomes someone new in a way Jolie couldn't dream of. So where is a witch's potential? In her striking appearance or in her banality? On to the characters. Let's start with the show's main character, Sarah Manning. Sarah is a thieving, drug-using mother of a child she hasn't seen in a year. She's British and has a punk rock look to her. But let's examine her in view of the clock. The name Sarah is rather plain. It's biblical and there are a billion Sarahs in the world. That puts her towards the bottom of the clock. Her hair is dark brown with streaks of blonde that were obviously dyed in and have been growing out for months. This little detail, that she hasn't kept up her appearance, gives her the feel of being a damsel in distress, an outcast wanting to look rebellious but too helpless to pull it off. The actress, I think, is a nine o'clock but each character's attire hides or emphasizes some part of her physique. In Sarah's case, it's loose-fitting t-shirts, tall boots, bulky jackets and hoodies, and other pieces that pretty much bury her. The result is a girl who looks too small for her clothing, further adding to the damsel depiction. As I said, Sarah's British. To my ignorant American ears, I can only say it doesn't sound like the Queen's English. It sounds more like blue-collar English. Now, I looked it up online, and I've seen it described as a Brixton accent, which I think confirms my suspicions that she's meant to sound poor. Her movements are hesitant. You watch her, and you know what she wants to do, and there's this moment of fear to overcome, and then she acts. And I love those momentary hesitations. They really make the character, and again, add to the the tough-on-the-outside-scared-inside portrait. She doesn't seem to work, but rather steals and dates someone who deals drugs. Her makeup, like her hair, is not maintained. In fact, she looks like she went to bed with makeup on and the next morning just added more. 
Her home seems to be wherever she can find a place to sleep. Overall, I'd say she's a bottom-of-the-clock character who acts more than she thinks. I'd put her at 8 o'clock. Then there's Beth, who's more of a 5 o'clock. Beth is a cop who kills herself in the first few minutes of the premiere episode. Okay, on to the next character. Now, actually, Beth remains a sort of character throughout the season because Sarah immediately steals her identity. So we get to know Beth through Sarah pretending to be Beth. Now, first, the name Beth is the softest, plainest variation on Elizabeth. We're looking at another bottom-of-the-clock character. Her hair is plain brown, not straight enough to be noticeably straight, not wavy enough to be noticeably wavy, just really, really plain. Beth's clothing is plain also, grays and other neutral tones. It's more form-fitting, so the actress's slim nine-o'clock shape comes through, but the character is overall subdued and businesslike. Sarah adopts an American accent to be Beth, learning a pragmatic style of speech. Beth speaks when she needs to. She's not chatty. Her movements are equally pragmatic, doing what's needed and nothing more. Her occupation as a cop might seem rather top of the clock, but Beth is never portrayed as bossing anyone around. She's depicted with her partner and her superiors. Her makeup is Hollywood non-existent, meaning she's an actress on TV, so of course she's wearing makeup, but it's meant to look like she isn't. Beth wouldn't bother. It's about getting the job done, not looking pretty. Her home is dark, not spooky dark, just drab dark. There never seemed to be enough lights on or sun shining through the windows. And everything is gray, and everything is clutter-free. Where Sarah comes across as a damsel in distress, Beth is solid, reliable, and utterly boring. After adopting Beth's identity, Sarah meets Allison. Allison is an 11 o'clock soccer mom. For non-American listeners, that basically means she's bossy as hell and overly involved in her children's lives. I've known women named Allison, and they frequently go by Al or Allie, but use of a fully pronounced name fits Allison's more dominant nature. Allison's hair is cut with bangs worn straight across her brow, and the rest of her hair pulled up tightly in a ponytail or else held back with a headband, and she's as uptight and held back as that hair. Her voice escapes her in rapid bursts of high-pitched flurry. Her movements are equally frantic and flustered. There's nothing fluid about her. To watch her dance would be painful. Her clothing and her makeup are precisely what is required to be a soccer mom, the very height of yuppie fashion. It's a look that says, the shape beneath this down-filled vest doesn't and shouldn't matter, only that the vest's owner is properly conforming to societal norms and clearly has some money. She wears brighter colors than other clones, again suggesting a more top-of-the-clock position. Her home is the very picture of standard, conforming, and middle-class America, and her expectation of respect dominates the mood. When Sarah meets her, Allison is already collaborating with another clone, Kasima. Kasima is interesting. Just starting with her name, we get a taste of something entirely different. And does anyone know anyone named Kasima? Kasma is another name I've never heard anyone go by, but it was suggested by LeVay for women in the 10 o'clock to 2 o'clock categories. That was Allison, for that matter. I put Kasima at 2 o'clock. Her hair is braided into cornrows, which are then usually worn up in a style all its own, as if to say her complications have complications. She wears a lot of colors and patterns and odd jewelry, mostly in shades of red. If she were to dress as drably as Beth, you would look at her and say, what's with the hair? But because the clothing is as weird as the hair, you just look at her and say, what's with her? She also wears the most bust-enhancing clothing, giving her a more top-of-the-clock appearance than Meslani presents with either Beth or Sarah. Kasima's voice is plain enough, but it's more what she says than how she says it. She's the brains of the bunch, not because she's trying to be, but because she thinks before speaking. 
she can use wit as a weapon. Her movements are far more relaxed than the, any of the other characters, too. She may be complex, but she's quite comfortable in her own skin and not at all submissive. She's a student studying evolutionary development, which of course plays into the story of them all being clones. She's the only clone to wear glasses, adding to her brainy appearance, and her home is as complicated as her hairdo. It's cluttered, and everything, including the walls, has color and pattern to it, and there are curtains where you would expect a door to be. Try to imagine if dull, drab Beth became her roommate. Cosima's spirit would take over the place, and Beth would be left with one small bedroom with blank walls to call her sanctuary. Sarah, Allison, and Cosima team up, but they find themselves confronted by yet another clone, with no intentions of joining them. Helena is the most exotic clone of all. The only other time I've seen that name before is the actress married to Tim Burton, and that actress has a bit of exotic to her as well, but even she pronounces it Helena, not Helena. Helena's the first blonde clone we meet. Her hair is not just dyed blonde, it's also tightly curled, giving her a look reminiscent of Medusa's snakes. Her makeup adds to the Wonder theme as well with its reddish eyeshadow that reminds me of sickness and death. Her clothing can range from battle gear, where she looks like a man, to a flimsy nightgown exposing the scars she self-inflicted across her back. Her movements suggest a complete lack of fear. Neither death nor pain will frighten her. She's the one clone who conspicuously slouches in tense moments when any normal person would stand stiffly ready for action. She carries an exotic blade and is on a mission of destruction but it's not her mission of destruction. For all her top-of-the-clock aspects, she's someone's pawn, and moves like a bottom-of-the-clock woman, dancing in a much more fluid style. I'd put her at 9 o'clock, which I think makes her more interesting. A 3 o'clock killer would be cold and calculating, but a 9 o'clock killer wants to get to know the victims first, and that's creepier. So there's Sarah, Beth, Allison, Cosima, and Helena. You may think the show is stupid, but they did manage to create numerous, diverse characters one actress could play. And putting aside the special effects needed to get them all on the screen at once, there's nothing they did to make these characters come to life that isn't in The Satanic Witch. If you've ever read The Satanic Witch and wondered what you might be capable of, search YouTube for clips of this show and let it inspire you. The trick is consistency and context. Actually, in any good movie or TV show, a believable character is going to be one where all of these aspects are in alignment. Orphan Black has the advantage of taking the actress's looks out of the equation to show what's possible. When creating or recreating yourself, I'd suggest creating a character that's you, only better. But you may also find isolated contexts in which being someone else is advantageous. Just be consistent within these contexts. For the most part, people don't give a shit about you. They want to size you up, deal with you as an interruption, and get back to their lives. Give them an easy-to-read, consistent image, let them judge, and get back to your life. Now, if you make that image one they want to see, becoming someone they want to aid, well, then it's win-win all around. Let Orphan Black be your inspiration for just how powerful looks can be. All right, Jesse, where can people find a little bit more about you or hear a little bit more of what you have to say. They can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Damned Lucky. They can read my blog, which is Drafts from a Satanic Windbag at WordPress.com, or they can email me at idojesse at gmail.com. And I say it every time, and I'm going to keep saying it because I, I think it's definitely worth noting. You should check out her blog, Drafts from a Satanic Windbag.com or .wordpress.com. 
There's a link on <laughs> ninecentspodcast.com. <laughs> so you don't have to type it all out. Um, but definitely check it out. She posts a lot of wonderful content that doesn't make it onto the show because it's only once a month. So definitely check out Jesse online. Follow her on Twitter and check out her blog. And uh, I guess before we close this thing out, let's do a little bit of old Nick Peep show. Sounds good. Welcome to another Old Nick Peep Show, the only segment that delivers beautiful women, masculine men, and intriguing information on all things Old Nick. Joining us, as always, is the very first Old Nick chick, the very beautiful witch, Marilyn Mansfield, and her handsome man, senior editor, Warlath Zoth Amog. How are both you today? Hey, Adam, how are you? We're doing great, thank you. Wonderful. So it is another month, another month closer to the next issue of Old Nick Magazine. Now we... We talked briefly about what's coming uh, last month, and now that we're really, really close, I'm wondering if we can give up maybe a little bit more information, and hopefully we can talk uh, if you know about deadlines for uh, um, ad submissions and stuff like that. Well, um, you know, we, we've been getting a lot of uh, requests for um, past models and such, um, you know, uh, that have been in previous issues, so what we decided... Uh, along with the new content that we discussed last time, we decided to uh, put put out a um, sort of best of uh, issue. Yeah, for our next issue, Old Nick will be doing a classic throwback issue, which is going to feature a lot of our fan favorites models from previous issues, as well as a new centerfold. Uh, I believe her name is Jezebel, and we're going to have you know the the science fiction of Edward Lee. And a couple articles that we mentioned last time we spoke. So it should be a really good issue. I'm curious. So when, when you're doing a best of, and it's primarily best of as in past models, are you yeah. using the, the same photos or do you throw in a couple new ones just to keep it fresh? Um, we do a little bit of both, you know. We, we throw in a couple of things that, you know, possibly you didn't see in the previous issue. And also we like to feature, you know, the, the classic shots from, from the previous issues as well. It's... it's you got to see it to get it, you know? <laughs> yeah. So is this going to be like 666% more nude girls than <laughs> the last issue? Like, that, that, hey, you know what? That's not a bad idea. Um, I don't know what the exact percentage is, but um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm thinking it's going to be very, lots of skin. Nice. <laughs> I'm, I'm always a fan. What do you call that? Skintacular? <laughs> <laughs> and I guess this is a really good way also because... Um, you know, for whatever reason, people don't always pick up every issue of every magazine they subscribe exactly, to. And so, exactly. so that, that's the great idea is to think of to expose, you know, the, the newcomers to what they have missed in the past issues and, you know, uh, inspire them to go back and pick up that issue. That's really great. And then, you know, we do know that sometimes the issues sell out. And so, you know, their their availability can be limited. Um, yeah. But hopefully that just inspires you to grab them as soon as they're available. But yeah, exactly. uh, I do, I do really like the idea of revisiting some of the fan faves, I, it, and, and it speaks to a couple things actually. So one, it speaks to um, the quality of women that are worth that are you know being featured in Old Nick magazine are worth taking a second look at. 
But then also, and maybe even more importantly, it's Old Nick Magazine listening to its readership and reacting to their needs, their wants, their desires. I mean, to have to have a publication respond to its readership like that, I, I think is pretty rare and it's pretty big deal. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that very nice compliment. <laughs> <laughs> is, is there any particular favorite of yours that uh, we might want to squeeze into the issue? You know what? <laughs> this is funny. It, it reminds me of, uh, you know, when I was listening to a, another um, large podcast the other day and they were talking about uh, whenever you leave off at a porno, it kind of gives you a tell about, you know, what you're kind of into, what your thing is. Yeah, yeah, Old yeah. Nick Magazine spans the gamut on beautiful women, um, you know, catering to a, actually a, a pretty wide range of aesthetic. I'm not entirely sure I want to uh, go out on a limb and name one right <laughs> now. Maybe okay, as soon as I stop recording, <laughs> I'll yeah, go yeah. over with it. Well, that, that'll be a private conversation. Yeah, yeah. I can say any chance I get to see some beautiful bronze women, uh, maybe this is my tell. Um, th that's always a good go choice for me, like always. So uh, yeah, maybe that's maybe that's giving I, I, it away for all of you who followed. Uh, <laughs> what about me? Well, you know, my favorite's always the one where you're featured. <laughs> oh yeah. Is, is the one? <laughs> he said his favorites are always the one where I'm featured. Of course, he yeah. says. Nice. <laughs> you know that's. <laughs> <laughs> I I wonder. I would you be offended, Marilyn, if you ever walked in on Zoth with the magazine taking care of business, looking at you? Oh no! I no no. I I would uh, be offended if he didn't let me join in. <laughs> well, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like he's he's getting he's getting some you know obviously inspiration from you, but without you at the same time. So yeah. It's no weird. no no. I wouldn't be offended at all. I, I, I think he might um, uh, look at pictures while he's at work and things. So. <laughs> when I'm not around. <laughs> no, I wouldn't be offended. I don't get offended when he looks at the the other girls. I mean, sometimes he's working on the magazine. You know, there's a, there's a shot of a girl. I don't I don't care, you know? Exactly. Yeah. You know, it comes with the territory. I yeah, yeah. We've been together for so long, it's like, you know. <laughs> but I don't take care of business. Yeah, he, he doesn't take care of business, that's right. He doesn't, he's always fully dressed, not taking care of business while he's working on the magazine. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm sticking to that story. <laughs> I'm convinced? Okay, so. <laughs> well, let's talk, I mean, it's coming out at the end of the month. What's the deadline for ad submissions here? Um... You know, I mean, I think... I think we got about a week left. Yeah, yeah, know? you know, I mean, it's it's cutting it close, but, you know, these special issues are always uh, the best ones to advertise them because they, they do they do really well, um, you know, and like we discussed the last time, you know, the you can't beat the prices for the ad space and the exposure and everything. Um, we actually got a uh, quote from, um, from Gyps, um, and uh, I think Zoth's going to read his his uh, quote, he quoted um, something for old Nick about his nice. experience. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let me, um, let me quote Gyps here. Gyps Wolves. Yes, my good friend Gyps. He says, um, and I quote, My personal experience in advertising with old Nick has been nothing short of stellar. The promotion of my music with this magazine has surely paid off, resulting in more exposure, new fans, and additional opportunities that may not have previously come my way. 
Yeah, he's always happy. He advertises all the time. He's yeah. always thrilled with the uh, results, you know. And I'm always a big fan of his solo music. Oh, yeah, he's great. brilliant. You know? I, I really like the stuff that he does. Yeah, yeah, he's got actually a lot of different projects going on all at the same time, seemingly. So being able to keep that up. But it, it, I mean, it is a testament to um, the need of uh, reaching out to uh, listeners that may not even be existing audience members, you know, uh, casting a wide net, as it were. Um, and advertising is the absolute best way to do that. It's nice to hear. Um, because I've noticed his ads in, I, I think almost, if not every single issue. Yeah, he's 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 always um, getting ad space. He's because because the results have worked so great for him. You know, he just mm-hmm. finds it very uh you know worthwhile to to keep advertising in the magazine. So you know. That's great. Well, I, I do suggest and everyone that is listening that wants to promote themselves or their business or their, their passions, send an email to Old Nick Magazine. And could you guys give out that email really quick one more time? Sure. It's info at oldnickmagazine.com. Great. So the issue is coming out on or about the end of August, which is just shy of or almost exactly a month away, right? Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, let's... Uh, Let's all collectively make our summer that much hotter by picking up the new issue of Old Nick Magazine as soon as it is available. And with some wonderful returning women and some brand new ones and content to boot. Uh, Zoth, Marilyn, it is always such a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having us, Adam. Yes, thank you. The pleasure is all ours. Oh, um, one thing before we go, could you shoot out your uh, website URL and maybe a couple of your uh, favorite social networking sites that people can connect to Old Nick Magazine on? Sure, oldnickmagazine.com. Mm-hmm. And you can also find us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Pinterest, on, geez, all our links are actually on oldnickmagazine.com. So as you go into the homepage and you scroll down to the bottom, all our social media links are there. And you can nice. follow me at Old Nick Chick on Twitter for the latest Old Nick news. Awesome. Well, again, it has been fantastic. Thank you both so much. And until we can speak again, hail Satan. Hail Satan. Hail Satan. All right, and that's going to do it for another show. I hope you enjoyed it, and we would love to hear from you. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let me know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. You can visit the SatanNet, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, or MySpace page for 9 Cents and get updated on weekly topics. Download the show Mondays via my RSS feed found at 9centspodcast.com. We're also on Last.fm, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube, so look for us there. And for all of you who contact me letting me know that my feed on the website sucks <laughs> well uh it does and that's why i put nine cents out in all those different areas of the web as well 
So definitely check them out. YouTube is probably your safest bet if you have problems directly streaming it from 9centspodcast.com. And your second best is probably the iTunes feed. So definitely uh, do yourselves a favor and try not to listen to it directly on the website. Um, it's, it's really not the best way to do it. My server kind of sucks. Uh, if you would like to learn more about the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com. And remember, and you guys do it every week, and I so, so appreciate it. Share nine cents. Share nine cents with your friends, with your enemies, with grandmama. Uh, let everyone know, because uh, knowing's half the battle. G.I. Joe. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. Uh, once again, thank you for joining me. And as always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell, being joined by the amazing... Jesse. The amazing Jesse. And until next week, hail Satan! Hail Satan! <laughs>